previously on the deep dive with League Troop. But you need to find the coach that aligns to what you need and what you have for it to work. And I've just been lucky that the success that I've had has been purely because of that symbiotic relationship that we've been able to make it work. So well articulated, brother. That's um, that's perfect. Like it's exactly what I knew you'd say, but I, I just I wanted the listeners to hear it because, yeah, it's um, most of your stuff and most of any of the the best coaches in the world, and I, I've got you right there. You can see it. You can find it if you really wanted to find it. You can email you for it if you, you. But it's not about that. There's lots of intangibles that go, and that's the thing. Someone like a Jake and and all these other elites you've got. Tell us about the, the, the way it looks currently before we get into some real quick fire and less full-on questions. Um, the way it looks at the moment, buddy, um, the club, the setup, and, and what you've got going in, in your current coaching setup. Yeah, so um, I didn't make any announcements about Team Boulder until after the Olympic trials. Like, I felt that, you know, I'd already made the decision. Like, I left the Boulder Track Club shortly after John passed away, or maybe you know, at the end of um, uh, 2018. Um, but my athletes still represented the Boulder Track Club and I was just happy for them to do that. I had no desire to start a club. I didn't want a group. I had four or five athletes and I just wanted to stay with that. Um, I had a lot of self-doubt and lost a lot of confidence after what happened. And, you know, it just I I don't know, like I, I didn't even know if I wanted to, to be here. So I just sort of have gone about my, my coaching pretty quietly and just... Um, I don't know, just trying to work me out and where I was and, you know, just sort of through the course of 2019, you know, just so I sort of felt like things needed to change and particularly with my athletes, like they were not happy with the Boulder Track Club, but they stayed with the Boulder Track Club just because I had started it and they knew that I'd been a part of it. And, you know, I don't know, I, I guess I just needed to grow some nuts and just, you know, make the choice like, all right, if we do this, we go with this and, you know, I set it up correctly and I learned from my mistakes, you know, um, and that's pretty much what we've done. So the club that we've got doesn't have a board. It's not going to have a committee. It's going to be run by me. Uh, we've already got a, a youth team, a teenager team. We've got a community team, a coaching team, an elite team. I haven't even promoted it. We've already got over 70 members that are a part of this. Um, I'm sure once, you know, I, you know, at the moment with obviously COVID-19, it's like, it's pointless promoting it because we don't have group training. We can't do group training. So it's not a great time to, to really launch this stuff. So, I mean, everything is just word of mouth at the moment. And those that have been part of BTC that had left for whatever reason have signed up and all, all the kids that were part of our youth team and teenage team that my wife coaches have all joined up. Uh, everyone that I've coached has, has joined up and I've got an elite team. So I'm not about numbers. Like I don't want to have that club of, 150 200 250 um again it just creates drama um i'm just all about substance and just making sure that it's organic and it's it's pure um you know people sign up will have club perks that you get um you'll get an awesome uniform that everyone gets to be a part of whether you're a five-year-old or a 85 year old uh and we'll have club events you know like once a month we'd go bowling or we'd go to a movie or we do dinner like we've even done things where we get the parents to drop the kids off and my wife and I look after their kids for a movie night so that they can go out and have dinner. Um, 
that's just little things like that. Little things that as clubs in Australia we've been a part of and that's what we've done. And we've never thought anything about it. Like it's just that's just the like the volunteers just do it. And and I mean I don't get paid. I mean the BTC I never got paid. And you know, here with Team Boulder I'm not going to get paid. But that's just what clubs are. They're communities, they come together, they celebrate together, you know, like they really like um really immerse themselves into wearing the uniform. Like the uniform's like a, a badge of honor. They're part of something. They believe in something. And, you know, everyone that's part of it, they're, they're in it together. So whether it's volunteers, you know, community club members, our youth or elite, um, they're all part of it. And, and my elite know that at the end of the day, like they're role models for this club. You know, when they get out there, they represent our members. You know, they represent our community. And I've always been extremely delicate in the uniforms that I created. Like when I created the Geelong uniform, that semi that's on there, that was the original logo of Geelong back in the 70s and 80s. And I wanted to bring it back out again because it, it had substance. And obviously the blue and white strip is just for Geelong. But now when I started the Boulder Track Club, we, we brought out the, the Colorado colors and we, we looked at the flat irons and we immersed that in. And, you know, Team Boulder, um, you know, has the, the Colorado logo, but it, it has me immersed in the middle of it. Um, that, that was when I won Zatapak in 2002. Um, but it has the Colorado colors, which is like navy blue, uh, red, uh, yellow, and white. Um, but they're all the things that, you know, you want people to, to be a part of. So I think club's important. I think it, um, you know, you self-identify by being part of something. Um, whether it's a running club, a football club, a, a cricket club, you, you self-identify. Um, and that's what you believe in. You know, whether you're a local cricketer or a national cricketer or an international cricketer, you know, that's what you believe in, you know. And so I think it's cool when you can create um, a club that people believe in, they support, um, they really embody what you want. And, you know, so with this, you know, I'm excited about just creating a culture of acceptance, you know, a culture of being the best that you can be and a culture of celebrating everyone regardless of ability and age. Yeah, you've said that well, and I'm, I couldn't agree more. Um, running in general, I think, needs more of it, and that's what we've obviously tried to do for the last 15 or so years, and just create communities where people feel part of something greater than themselves. And obviously, it's, it's, a, it's an environment to prosper and, and to be the best version of yourself, but to meet people you wouldn't normally meet, and to, yeah, to create a family environment that is, um, is so important, and, and sports are great a great uh, place for that to really prosper. So you've done so running's very Running's very individual, you know, and so a lot of people run because they've had health issues and they need to run or they run because they want to meet a friend or, you know, they're running to support a charity or, you know, like it's losing weight, like it's health, fitness, you know, like, and it can be quite insular, you know, and so trying to get people to break down those barriers to realise that, regardless of level of ability, like we all have goals that we want to achieve. Like I'll never forget the story. You know, I was at a, in a bar in Manchester after the great North run and a guy had asked me, you know, what I'd run for the marathon. And I told him I'd run 209 and he's like, Oh God, I can't believe it. Oh, it's amazing. I was like, well, what have you ran? And he'd run like four and a half hours. I was like, oh, I, I can't believe it. I've never done a four and a half hour run in my life, you know? And so just trying to get him to realize that he had done something that I'd never done. And that I had complete admiration and respect for that. It created a, a conversation and caused the opportunity for a couple of pints. But, you know, it just meant that, you know, like he didn't get to see himself as a person that was two and a half hours slower than me. He got to see himself as someone that I looked at on an 
equal equal keel that you know he did something that i've never done and i admired and respected that so you know in society we all get caught up by being insular like being behind closed doors being a keyboard warrior and, and putting our thoughts and feelings out on facebook and twitter and and instagram and i think we've forgotten how to to realize that what you're going through others are going through it as well and there's, there's greater strength in numbers and so you know if we can break down those barriers to get people to realize that and that's why i love the australian club system like you know when people get involved a lot of them don't know anyone they just see it and they start up and if they don't like it they'll then go and join another club but you know most that join like it and they end up becoming the most faithful people that there are and then when they're going to retire from whatever level they're at they become volunteers you know, they become community leaders and they stay in those clubs for years i mean I love football clubs and netball clubs that, that have all of that. You know, like I said, it, it really embodies what the true spirit of club club participation is all about. So true. And we'll, we'll finish off on that because this, the club system is is one of the great things in Australian athletics, football, netball. And there's nothing better than you played under 10 somewhere and you're still volunteering as a 60-year-old behind the bar or, or in the canteen and, or just helping out anywhere. And that's I think that's we do it, do it, we do, do it well. And um, you probably have noticed that in the states where it's possibly not not as frequent like what what happens when you turn 20 what happens when you get out of college um, and you're not a um an elite like what happens there just quickly touch on for the listeners and then we'll, we'll move on to these quick fires if i'm a 24 year old in new york where do i go after ncaa well it all depends like if you're successful you will be recruited to another club or you might pick up sponsorship if you're not, like, like, there's a high attrition rate. Like a lot of those athletes just end up quitting. Their highest point is their four years of college, then they get a job. Um, and then, you know, maybe a few years later, they're just like, oh, I need to get back into running on this running. And then they just join a local club, you know. So, you know, you could join, you know, the Hares and Hounds in um, in New York. Um, but it's just, there are, there are clubs that you can be a part of, um, but it just, it's just such a high attrition rate because you go from NCAAs, whether you're Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three, um, NAI, National Junior College, like, and everything is about those years. Like, college coaches only care about winning national championships indoors, outdoors, and um, uh, uh, cross country. So you spend four years like being absolutely flogged, then you come out, and then the last thing you're thinking about is about running, unless you're a superstar and you got a contract. And then usually a lot of those athletes that are superstars don't have longevity because they've spent a lot of their life savings during their collegiate career. So they come out and, you know, they're just trying to survive on whatever superannuation they've got left. So it, it's tough, but there are club support systems, but it's such a huge drop, you know, and there are a few sub-elite teams, um, but those sub-elite teams come with, you know, their own problems, right? Because they're not elite, uh, but they want to be better than the recreational runner. So they put themselves on a pedestal to make themselves sound elite. And it just it just creates its own issues. Like in Australia, we don't have that crap. You know, if you're good, you're good. If you're not, you're not. You know, and, and everyone recognizes and understands that. And but just here it's a little bit more polarizing because people could be a brand ambassador where they might get, you know, one free pair of shoes every three months, but they classify themselves as a sponsored athlete. Now, to me, a sponsored athlete is you're getting paid. You know, I got paid well when I was at Nike. I got paid well when I was at ASICS. I got paid to stand on the start line of international marathons. That's elite, you know. Just getting a free product just so that you can promote yourself on social media 
um, you know, for a brand, to me, you're a brand ambassador. And that's, there's a huge differential between the two. Um, and I guess that's just my gripe having been a previous elite athlete. I know what the word elite means and what it truly is. And I think that's probably some of the reasons why I struggled with some athletes that I had originally coached because they're a three-hour marathon and tell me they're elite. And I'm like, Paul Radcliffe holds a world record at 2.15. Like you're 45 minutes off it. Like seriously, if you can't run 2.30, 2.35, you're not elite. You know, and I think that just rubbed up on some women, you know, and it's the same with men. Like I rang 209, like back in the eighties, if you broke 210, you were a superstar and yet we're patting people on the back for breaking 215. It's like, okay, that's great, but you're not elite, you know? And so I think it hurts their egos because they're caught up in their own little world and, you know, how they've promoted themselves and sold themselves. And I'm just an old school guy where I don't know, I just need a little bit more on the, uh, on the dossier to, to prove that you're a little bit better than uh, than what your your performances indicate. Yeah, bloody oath. And also, I love the way when you've gone over there, you've still tried to encourage people to work, um, like athletes, 15, 20 hours a week type setup yep. and not be so ultra-consumed and, and just be consumed by the sport where it doesn't even become any, not even the nearest bit fun anymore. And, and you've spoke about this. So spend a couple of minutes on that because – so important and don't have to be work anything that takes them away from the sport 20 hours a week of doing something outside of running is 20 hours less of thinking about running so the job is to try and make sure that uh you know young athletes aren't just 24 hours a day seven days a week thinking about running because you then start to analyze overanalyze and then psychoanalyze and then before you know it you're physically depleted because of all the whole thought process of thinking about everything so I try to make sure that at least 20 hours a week they're doing a part-time job. It's 20 hours a week of thinking about something else. It's 20 hours a week of interacting with other people. And then it also means that that's 20 hours of not thinking about running. So you've saved yourself a little bit of physical depletion. And, you know, I worked at um, at Westpac Bank, um, uh, sort of 97, 98, 99, uh, which ended up, it was Bank of Melbourne, I think at the time. And it was 20 hours a week that I really enjoyed it. I didn't have to think about running and it actually, I was running well doing it. Then uh, I had some success and decided, uh, you know, after Sydney, I was going to be a full-time athlete and I was a full-time athlete and uh, I didn't really improve uh, in my times. My times were consistent, but yet I was putting more effort, more thought and more training in. And um, unfortunately there was a, a negative reaction to it. So, so with the way, with your coaching at the moment. <coughs> Hang on. What? <coughs> Just having a coaching fit. <coughs> Continue on, great man. All right, fire away. No, no, that was good. Um, I just, listen, the thing about this is, is it's, it's, it doesn't just apply to running either. Like it, it's everything in life as well. So what, what Truby's talking about the last, couple of hours, like everybody can take this out of there, I, I believe, especially we're in a time of our life that's unprecedented and, and probably it's, it's a once in a, a couple hundred years type thing we're going through at the moment with the COVID lockdown. So if you can take something out of the silver lining of what we're going through and listen to what Drew is saying, it's it's, it's, a, it's, like, it's so simple, isn't it? It's not. It's not it is. Well, I mean, I feel like the world at the moment is very complicated. I mean, I don't think we can downplay COVID-19. I mean, people are dying and, you know, people are sick and 
you know, people have been furloughed or they lost their jobs and, you know, we're going to see a, an economic downfall and possibly recession. And, you know, that's, it's very hard to try and be optimistic and simplistic in this time um, when there's so much hardship. You know, for me, you know, to try and get through everything is I try to look at the glass being half full and not half empty. And I know that there are people out there that have lost loved ones. I mean, I today uh, was on Facebook and a guy that I don't know personally, but um, a guy that has been interacting with me on social media for almost 10 years uh, passed away about two weeks ago. And I didn't even know. Um, and he, he just, he, he'll always interact. So like just private messages and, you know, and just always encouraging stuff and always asking about running and questions on running. And, you know, and I, even though I don't know him, I, I felt really hollow in that moment that it, I had read something that his wife had written that went up on his wall. That's how it popped up on my, on my Facebook feed. But, you know, if you look at Italy and obviously the USA is like leading now the cases and deaths and, you know, I know a lot of people that are out of work. I mean, I'm out of work. You know, I, I put on running races and, the earliest that I can come back is possibly August and I really can't see that happening and it might be October, you know, that'll be almost 10 months of being out of work and, you know, people that work in cafes and restaurants are, are not working. And I don't know, it's like we can take optimism on a life scale, but then we also have to be extremely pragmatic with it. Um, but, you know, so far we've been talking about running and what running can do. And even though we've got COVID-19, I've seen more people out doing physical activity than I've seen ever. And people, like, they don't have things to do. So they're trying to look at ways that they can actually have a stress release, how they can take out their frustration. And whether it's getting on the bike or going for a walk or going for a run, I think this is going to lead to a healthier lifestyle for people. And so for me, you know, like I said, we've talked about running and I think it's encouraging that we can talk about that and people can take out, you know, a lot of positives that I've talked about. But I don't want to ever underestimate or downplay the seriousness and how troubling the world is right now. And so, you know, if people can take a little bit of this, that then makes them think, okay, well, I'm going to look at now the glass being half full rather than half empty. I think that's great. But those that are looking at the glass being half empty, I honestly don't think that that's a criticism at all. Like, I mean, I don't understand their circumstances and their situation. And, you know, my biggest concern through all of this is the loss of business businesses and potentially the loss of lives. And when I say loss of lives, I'm talking about suicide. You know, people that uh, won't have an income, won't have money, won't be able to survive, won't be able to live. You know, that's a real thing. And, you know, this wasn't a real thing 10 years ago. I mean, yes, there were instances of it and it probably wasn't well spoken about, but right now this is a this is a really big thing. And I've alluded to the situation of one of my athletes taking his life in 2018 and, you know, that still troubles me to today. And so as we go through this, this, this troubles me, you know, like, you know, in the US, we have stay at home orders and who knows who's in their home and hasn't gone out, you know, and it won't be until all of a sudden we can now, you know, drop the self-isolation and we can then start to connect with people that we're going to start to find the real horrible statistics of that had nothing to do with the disease. It was a byproduct of this disease. So, you know, I just hope anyone that's listening just understands that, you know, as an individual that is part of the many billions of people around the world that I understand the good, bad and the indifferent. And, you know, I just have nothing but compassion and, and sympathy for everyone at this time. And, you know, I just hope that, you know, through running and being able to get into running, that if you're able to come out of this, that this is something that you'll continue to do. And then just realize that there is a, a sisterhood and a brotherhood 
you know, there's a club system of people that uh, will embrace you and hopefully you'll continue to do it. Yeah, well said, mate. And it's, let's just reach out. If, if this does per, um, really ignite you, make sure you reach out to somebody that you might not have heard for a while and it might, might have been years. I mean, just reach out and then we've got lots yeah. of avenues. Yep. Like, and like I, like I, 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 you know, I've made no secrets that I went through my own dark place towards the end of 2018. And, you know, the biggest thing that, uh, that I can tell people is that, uh, I shut myself off from everyone. You know, like I shut myself off from my own family, my own friends, you know, you know, people that I'm closest to, you know, Mona, you know, everyone. And you do, you just spiral out of control. You become insular and, you know, it, and it's hard to, to break out. You know, if you just, you end up just, you, you hate everyone you know, and you become lonely and, and isolated and, you know, you just, it, it just takes a lot of time to, to try and get yourself back. And what I found um, just in my own personal journey of like trying to get myself back, having reached out to a number of people, not realizing that they were going through their own. And so I sit there getting pissed off that people that I know and friends that I know haven't reached out, they don't care, you know, uh, screw them, it's all, you know, it's all about them. You know, with some of them that I've reached out, they've gone through their own thing. And so the thoughts that I've had about them are thoughts I've had about me and others, you know, and we have become so disconnected as a society. You know, I I used to be like the uh, the life of the party. Like I, I would call 40, 50 people Christmas Eve, you know, like I would call everyone for their birthdays. Like I was always the person that brought everyone together and, you know, I've lost that magic. Um, and, you know, like I said, it's been just trying to go through my own steps of trying to get myself back and, you know, running's, running is an amazing tool. It's not my, it's not my jam at the moment. I mean, I'm coaching, but I'm trying to get back into my own running. My own jam at the moment is trying to reconnect with people. Um, you know, and obviously we can't touch, we can't sense, we can't feel, but at least through, um, technology or what we have with Zoom and Google Hangout and Skype and FaceTime, I think it's an opportunity to, to reach out. So, you know, if there's someone that you haven't heard from for a long time, please don't take it to heart. They've probably just gone through something that you've gone through and they've become disconnected and broken as well. And it takes a big man to, start um reaching out to people i won't say it's putting out the olive branch because the olive branch means that there's been a problem and you're trying to smooth it over a lot of these things have just fallen apart because of lack of communication and there hasn't been a problem so now i'd encourage people to just try and reach out to those they haven't spoke to for for a long time it doesn't have to be a long deep winded conversation but just even a text message of hello i'm thinking of you and i've tried to make that my mantra once a week you know, to try and reach out to someone that uh, I haven't spoken to. I mean, I've been in the States for 11 years, you know, and I've only got myself to blame, you know, like I've disconnected myself from a lot of people and it's just because I've had my own shit to deal with, you know, like, you know, I lost a running store and lost an athlete and, you know, just life, life just kicked me in the nuts and I ended up just losing, losing my own identity. And so, as I start to work through this process of trying to get myself to feeling like I'm, I guess I'm never going to be the same person that I was, but if I can get myself back to feeling content about myself, I think that just goes a long way. So um, like I said, I'm just looking forward to, despite the severity of what we're dealing with, it's an opportunity to actually reconnect and get back to basics because 
somewhere along the line we all lost it. Right. Um, yeah. Thanks so much for sharing. That's that's so true. That's what I meant by keeping it simple. There is some silver linings. There's some. There's lots of people in a in a really bad position and dying and losing work and losing all financial independence. But the connection with family, the connection with friends, and even if it's just like we're doing today over Zoom, little things like that that you really you can't neglect. And like you said, true, it's the ones that you might not have heard of, heard from for a fair while. Um, and they're probably the ones that you need to be doing that. So once a week, you reach out, mate. I do. I've I've just made it an effort to just you know send a message. I mean, like I did a FaceTime with a a friend of mine I haven't spoken to for for quite a while on Friday. I just sent him out a message and just said that you know I thought he was an awesome awesome person, and you know he's a he's a um a soft tissue therapist, and so he works with people and athletes every day, and he doesn't have that opportunity and. I know he's a people person and that, you know, he would be, you know, just, he'd just be struggling, you know, and so I just sort of wanted to reach out and, you know, just say good day to him. I mean, even friends that I've got in Australia, like, you know, close friends, you know, it's just, there's just, there's a lot of people that, um, like I said, I've, I've gone from being extremely popular to just being individualistic and, you know, just focused on myself and insular and certainly forgotten, you know, I, I just forgot mateship, you know, and so... I was so focused on trying to make this running store the best running store in the world and coaching. And, you know, I came to the U.S. Um, in a way that, you know, like I was like, if I can make it in the U.S., I'll make it anywhere. And I just, you know, at the time I was a big fish in a small pond and I wanted to come to a country that didn't know me and I wanted to prove my worth and I wanted to earn respect. And, you know, I've, I've worked my ass off and unfortunately on the way I've had to suffer some severe hardships and you know like we lost our house as a result of this running store and you know it just i know you just you get so focused and um so caught up on yourself and then before you know it you just yeah haven't spoken to anyone in such a long time and as i said you end up in a in a place that you don't want to be in and it's it's hard to come out and i think it's also hard to then come out and be honest about it you know i think that's the biggest thing for me is i'm a i'm a typical guy you know i don't want to admit that I've done this and I don't want to admit that I've made bad decisions and I don't want to admit that, you know, like I put myself in a hole that I didn't think I'd crawl out of. You know, like my parents didn't even know about this until about a month ago. I mean, they obviously knew for a couple of years I'd been struggling, but, you know, I don't talk. You know, like I don't know if it's a, a, a girl and guy thing, but I just know for a guy thing that's not to talk. And so my parents live in Australia and I very rarely speak to them. And so, you know, I opened up a, a little bit like, I've opened up a little bit here and, you know, to them, you know, they had suspicions, but not to the extreme that, you know, we, we talked about. So, you know, I always thought at 40 going into 50, I'd have it figured out, you know, like at 20, you just live life, you party, right? Like you rip it up. And then at 30, you know, you get married, you get a job. 40 is all about creating security, you know, like building things up for your family, helping to put your kids through college, you know, building your superannuation, you know, in 50s, you sort of roll through it. 60s, you get ready for retirement. You know, I'm 47 and I've still got no frigging clue. You know, like I don't have a house and don't have any super and I'm trying to navigate it as, as best as the next person, you know, because life's tough. It kicks you in the nuts and it's, it's hard to try to work out how to rebound and, and pick yourself up. But I know I'm the same as thousands and thousands and thousands of other people, you know, like I seriously thought my 40s would be would be amazing and it hasn't my 40s hasn't hasn't lived up to to what i hoped but you know i have hope that i'll get into my 50s and what i've learned and what i've battled through in my 40s is what uh, will make that even sweeter
Um, that's powerful. Very, very true. And you're not alone, brother. There's millions of us that haven't got it figured out. Don't worry about that. And, and we really appreciate you opening up here. And um, it has been just like um, a couple of mates having a beer. But that's what you've got to do. Each, each, um, each of you guys listening, you just need to reach out to people. We had our Above the Shoulders Mental Health Series last year that was so powerful. Um, we had four males really open up Troopy um, last year on the series, and it was it was just so powerful, some of the stories. So we really need to um, reach out to um, friends, old old boyfriends, girlfriends, family, doesn't matter who it is, old school acquaintances, just reach out if you feel like um, there's something pulling you to reach out. Just send a text or not just like Troopy did, send a text and and just hook up a FaceTime chat. Like it could be, it could be a five-minute chat. It could just be a text to say I'm thinking about you, but uh, and you're a good person. Or I remember when this happened. But those kind of things are so important, and so powerful. Well, a lot of people that are going through things, they're not going to be the a lot of people that are going through things. They're not going to be the ones to reach out, you know. And so it just, I think those that are actually okay and are going good probably just need to scroll through their phone and just look at someone they haven't spoken to for a while or take a look at their emails and just, you know, go through their friends list and just see who they haven't spoken to. So, you know, I know myself, I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go into detail about, you know, what I've gone through. I'm only obviously going to, you know, just touch on the tip of the iceberg, but I think anyone that just tips on the bit of the iceberg, you don't have to go into detail to realize that they've gone through some hardship. And I don't think, you know, people that are going through stuff need to open up. You know, I think it's just having someone that knows them that reaches out. Like, I mean, that's the most important, important thing. And as I said, I, I just, I think people just were like, oh, well, Lee, you know, always being the center of attention. He's always the guy that reaches out. He's always the guy that organizes the party. He's always the guy that does this. And, and all of a sudden, I'm not doing it. I just think, well, people are like, oh, well, he's busy. He's got that, you know, rather than just like, oh, that's, that's, that's uncharacteristic, you know, like you, you know, probably should just send a message. But then on the flip side, you know, I should be doing the same thing, right? So um, it's a two-way street. It's not any person that should have to be greater than the other. It's just trying to keep it equal and even. And if you do care about someone and you do have feelings for someone, you know, then just reach out. It's not that hard. You know, it doesn't cost you anything just to send a text or, you know, like I said, to send an email or just make a phone call. And you don't have to go into detail. You just, just got to check in and, you know, I've said this once and I've said it a thousand times. Like, I feel like words are cheap. Everyone says it and I love it. Like when we have suicide prevention month and everyone posts it up on their wall and, you know, like that's all good, but how many people actually really act on it? You know, like be, be someone that's a doer and not a talker, you know, like actually, like seriously, like just, just do it. And it, I just can't reiterate that enough. You know, I just see a lot of people that portray it, but they don't live it. Yeah, and mate. I think, you know, just the world needs so much compassion now. Like the world needs so much love. It needs so much communication and understanding more than ever before. And if any good comes out of this pandemic, I just hope it connects us and brings us back to basics and takes us back to where we once were. It will. I believe it will, mate. And that's the thing. I, was, I believe everyone will be. Remember what's important and who's important. Um, and hopefully it slows us down a little bit um, trying to take those silver linings. But what, we, what you spoke about the last 15 minutes, um, there's nothing more important than what you've just spoken about then. So please take heed of that. And I really hope that people can um, can think about people like that they might not have thought about for a few months. That they go, oh, I haven't heard from 
from Turkey for a while, I might reach out. But yeah, it is it is it's incumbent on, on the person as well to to reach out. Where have you, how are you going day to day, and and what's have you got things in, in process that you can your routine day to day at the moment? I look, you know, <laughs> the world's changed. I now homeschool my kids, and it sucks. I hate it, um, but I have to do it, right? You know, and so. I got twin twin boys that are nine, and their nicknames are Seek and Destroy, and they make life hard. But you know, their world's changed too. You know, like they used to get up at you know seven thirty, have breakfast, catch the bus to school, engage with friends on the bus. You know, have six different classes, have morning recess, lunch, afternoon recess, sit with friends, engage with teachers, uh, catch the bus home. Now they're they're stuck at home. It's seven days a week. You know, they can't go out, they can't play, they can't do anything. I mean. I take them for a run once every you know couple of days. It's only like a, a kilometer, um, but then they've got their crusty old father that's now got to be a teacher, and you know he's got to teach them math and English, and you know uh, be extremely technology savvy on the computer, and you know it, it just it, it's hard, you know. And um, I'm obviously not working, so I'm trying to cook. So I'm doing breakfast, lunch, dinner, and trying to help out where I can. You know, luckily my wife's uh, got a job and. Um, you know, my world's been turned upside down. So I don't really have a chance to wallow at the moment. Um, you know, one thing I will say um, is one of the greatest things that I've had through all of this has been my kids. Um, you know, just to have, you know, my boys and my daughter and to, you know, to be able to squeeze them, you know, so hard, you know, when times are tough um, has been a, an unbelievable vice for me you know and and i'm not downplaying my wife or anything like that you know but just i've just been lucky with my kids you know because it's just like it's something that's far greater than me and it's something that you know like i have an obligation and a responsibility and they're things that i take like importantly um so like i said now that our world has been turned upside down i mean shit six weeks ago jake riley just qualified for the olympic games it was like one of the high coaching moments of my life and one of the greatest athletic performances of his life and six weeks later you know there's no olympics until 2021 there'll be no racing until at least you know the latter part of the year we can't train as a group you know my communication with my athletes is over zoom as i said i'm homeschooling my kids i'm, I'm cooking it's i don't think it really is a day-by-day thing i think it's just like i have to get my hands dirty and this is a job that i need to do and i've just got to do it so um it's probably a good thing because I don't have to, I don't have to wallow in where I am, but you know, like where I was, you know, Christmas of 2018 to where I am now, 14 months later, it's, you know, it's worlds apart, you know, and um, you know, particularly in regards to the death of John, like, I mean, I've accepted it, but I mean, it still, still hurts, you know, um, trying to get this new club up. I mean, yeah, I wish I was still part of BTC, but hey, you know, life moves on, you know, I've got to get it right. And yeah, it sucks that I lost my running store, but, you know, I've got to get ready for the next venture that that, that pops up. And there, yeah, I don't have any run running races to put on, but that'll come. And, you know, like with Jake, like his Olympics hasn't been cancelled, it's just been delayed. So that opportunity will come. So I feel like I'm just looking at the moment that the world has been paused and for myself to take a breath, to not judge myself and not to judge others and, do the best thing that I can uh, for the next six to eight weeks. Um, hopefully, 
get my kids to learn just one thing in the next six to eight weeks. Um, hopefully it's not a profanity. Uh, uh, hopefully it's something that uh, requires a little bit of academia. Um, but then, yeah, like I said, just come out of it better. You know, even with my daughter, like she's 14, you know, she's at the social point of her life and she can't socialise. Like it's hard on everyone. So, you know, as I said, I've, I've tried to remove myself from my own personal bullshit to just focus on them and put my efforts into them and, you know, it, it'll be what it'll be. Oh, that's super trippy. Look, yeah, a couple of things. Oh, there won't be the only kids in the world learning profanities at this stage, I'd imagine. <laughs> number one. And number two, certainly the um, the lack of judge. There's no judging ever. And this should have been the, the case forever in, in human society. But if there's ever a stage that you're not going to judge, it's it's now yourself or others. Like, there's just no need. That's what we go back to, keeping everything simple. And just like what really matters will, will always come out. And um and come to the forefront, mate. I really appreciate that those that last half hour. That's super powerful. We're gonna get into a few quick fires now, brother. Um, right. You didn't keep these. Do I need to get. Do I need to get another beer, or are we? Are we get another beer. Now, what are you drinking, brother? What do you got there? I'm just drinking an IPA. Am I making? Am I making you a bit jealous of the Carlton Draft from a bit of bit of your old Melbourne days, there? Not at all. I mean, mate, I don't think I drank that after eight. I admire the man that's still living it. I, I admire the man that's still living his youth. <laughs> I do. I like the joy. I go through the parlour. I've got a nice stone and wood from uh, from Byron Bay. Nice stone and wood, and there's a couple of nice parlours now. What do you got there? Give me I'm a little creatures guy, so uh, little creatures, and and over here we can get Cooper's uh, pale ale, which is good. But my my beer of choice here in the US uh, and where I live is uh, Avery Brewing Company. So. They're a big sponsor of uh, of me and my events and my running groups. And, um, yeah, unfortunately, they just furloughed uh, all their staff on Friday, which is disappointing. But, you know, we do a Monday night fun run from there. At 6 o'clock, everyone goes out and runs anywhere from, like, 5 to 8 kilometres. We have 150 people that turn up. They all come back. They get a free beer. We uh, raffle off swag. And, you know, um, we were really set up for a great, a great start of this year. We we're going to do a, um, a guest speaker series, a movie night. Um, we're going to run some podcasts from there. There's going to be happy hour with and whoever the special special guest was. So um so yeah, so big fans of Avery, but like I said, back home in Australia, massive fan of little creatures little and creatures. Um, and the only stuff that I can get here um, that I I don't mind is the Cooper's Pale Ale. Cooper's Pale Ale. I do like little creatures. Love the Pale Ale there. You go and get a beer, mate, and we'll I'll get the you um, go and get the drink. Young Yep. The listeners that are on, Truby's just ducked out for a quick beer, and I'll go and get mine when he comes back. But look, what a super, super couple of hours, um, two and a half hours of brilliance from from a, a sensational man, a sensational coach, athlete, but just more importantly, he's a great human being. And the stuff you can take out of that would probably be a lot greater than just purely running science and, and what makes it. 209 marathon and one of the best uh, coaches in the world, just a sensational human being. Um, and things are a lot bigger than just running around a track or an oval a few times, I'd imagine. We're going to have get jump into the quick fires now with Troopy. And the first off the back will be a running related one, a favourite session, his favourite session. And then we'll go for a couple of different ones. Um, and then we'll get stuck into that. So pretty. Um, Pretty fascinating listening to Troopy as he comes back with his parallel. He might have backed out of the dunny, I reckon, too. We've been going non-stop for two and a half hours here. 
like I said, it was only 10 a.m. in Melbourne when we started, a 6 p.m. Colorado time. Trippy's one of only five Australian men to go under 210. He's actually gone 209 twice, and he's gone 210.02 once, and, and he's broken 212 another three times. So um, obviously you've got De Costello, 207.51, Montagetti, 208.16, but then Derek Clayton went 208 as well in the 60s, but Pat Carroll went 209 just for once. Trippy is as good as has been in Australian distant training. There's no doubt about that. Um, I'd love if he's just behind the camera just listening to me wrapping up here too. I reckon he's just taking the piss. I reckon he's just listening to what I'm saying, all the good stuff about him. Seriously, as an athlete, though, one of the absolute toughest, toughest athletes I've ever I've ever seen and, and admired him for 20 years, like I said, just his brilliance and his hardness and his grit and determination. I thought you might have been, um, he's going to plug himself in here. You there, mate? There he is. All right, I'm back. Good work. I thought you might have just been sitting behind the computer listening to me just wrap you up for about a minute. I thought you might have been look, listening with, and didn't want to interrupt me, just really, really praising. Uh, I did. I went downstairs and uh, my wife asked me, uh, she said, you're done. And I said, oh, no, no, I'm still going. I've got about 10 minutes to go. She goes, oh, God, what are you talking about? I said, oh, we started off when my mum conceived me and we're now up to when I was 23. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, who's this prick from uh, the peninsula talking, <laughs> talking for two and a half hours on the other, other side of the world? No, mate, we really appreciate it. I'll wrap you up a bit there, so we'll get on to the, the quick stuff. Favourite session ever to do? Favourite session? Oh, Monofartly. Uh, no, I'd have to say the, the Benson Hill course. Feel the listeners in because it's not as uh, famous as the Monofartly. No, so um, there's a hill course that's uh, in Ballarat that uh, Tony Benson uh, had created, you know, back in the 70s and 80s. And uh, there was basically three or four hills that you would run up, um, probably about a mile uh, in length. And um, and then Mona had basically created this 7K hill course uh, in and around, um, uh, trying to think where it is now, um, it's not Sebastopol, um, uh, Brown Hill. And uh, basically, uh, you would finish the last mile up Benson's Hill. So um, it was just such a tough course. And, you know, Mona, a great cross-country runner, and he would and, – and, and there was probably, let's just say, 20 to 25 hills uh, over that 7K, and they would vary from a very short 50 metres to something that went as long as 400 metres. And so there was just a, a variance in changing pace that you had to do. And like we'd have 20, 30 people turn up every Saturday morning to do it. So yeah, without a doubt, I would say the, the hill course in Ballarat was my favourite. Very good. I like that too. Um, tell me about the perfect day in the life of Lee Troop. Uh, there's no such thing. <laughs> I, I wish there was, but, you know, it. Uh, there, there really isn't. I mean, um, God, I guess... If I could fast forward in, in 20 years' time, you know, I'd be living on a beach. Um, I'd get up at 6 o'clock in the morning and I'd go out for a run or a stroll and come back and have breakfast on the balcony overlooking the beach, you know, do nothing through the day, maybe write out some programs, coach a few athletes, have lunch at the uh, at the local surf life-saving club, come back for a nana nap, uh, then go out and have dinner and then go to bed. That would be the... That would be the perfect life. But, um, yeah, I, I don't think I've ever had a perfect life or a perfect day. Like, it's just every day has been completely different of each other. So, um, 
Yeah, you're making me very sad and emotional now. <laughs> no, that's a real answer. Oh, it was it's meant to be in a uh, an ideal universe, which doesn't even exist. So let's that's one of the questions. What do you miss most about Oz, mate? Um, fish and chips, <laughs> like potato cakes, like dim sims, like I have flake. Um, whenever I go home, the the first thing I have whenever I go home is fish and chips. Um, you just you can't miss it. Um, I miss the beach. You know, uh, being able to go for runs down around Torquay, Janjuk, uh, just getting on those single trails and things like that. But yeah, the most thing is the fish and chips. I know that sounds weird, but they just, they don't do it here. And the fish that they have is just like, it's terrible. Yeah, I, I, was, I wasn't expecting that. What about footy? Are you married for the cats? Barrack for the cats. I do watch, so I subscribe to the AFL channel and, uh, and I do watch that. So um, many, many late nights, uh, particularly when the cats are playing at 3 a.m. I'm also a cat man. Favourite ever player, Trudy? Ah, uh, jeez. Favourite ever player. God. We had a good era in that early 90s. Would have best. Ah, uh, uh, yeah. I mean, senior, you know, look, there's been so many great players. But this will probably, I don't know, this will probably, uh, I don't know, this might be a little controversial, but I think Gary Ablett Jr. is one of the best ever players and it's not because of his mercurial sense that he has on the football field, but it's also how he is off the football field. And I remember meeting him as a young player and to be the son of a legend and the pressure that comes with that, like, I don't know, I just, the way he conducts himself on and off the field, I admire. And I remember when he went to the Gold Coast and many people in Geelong were upset I was like, the man had given us a flag, you know, he'd won a Brownlow, he'd won a best and fairest. Like, if we never got anything else for the rest of my lifetime, I was content. And that was, I, I thought he deserved to, to head away and to make his millions. And I think it's just awesome that he's back at the Cattery to, to see out the end of his career. So I thought, you know, I still think he's one of the best players to play the game. I mean, you know, when you've got to compare it up against the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. I mean, Dermot Brereton was one of the toughest players to, to play the game. You know, Dippio Domenico was obviously the same. I mean, Bruce Jewell. I mean, like the list just goes on. But, you know, just to look at someone on and off, I just, I think he's an unbelievable player. I mean, my favourite player growing up was Mark Yates, um, you know, for the, for, the, for the Cats. I had number 21. Um, but, yeah, I, I'd go with Junior. I think Junior's the best mid we've seen. But Mark Yates, I love him. Tough, very tough. Halfback flanker. Tell me, you get stuck on a desert island trip. Are you apart from your family? Give me three things you'd take. People or items? Uh, apart from your family, sorry, items. Three items. Yeah. Oh, beer uh, yeah. would be wow. one. Um, running shoes would be two. And. Am I allowed to take the internet so that I can talk to my family? <laughs> uh, I'll give you that one. You'll give me that one. Well, if not, if, if not, I would uh, I'd definitely take my running shoes. Um, I'd uh, God beer, and then I would take. Um, I won't say what I was about to say, <laughs> but I'll um, I'll yeah. Let's let's just go with um, a book. A book. Good answer. Uh, we'll keep that one G rated. Good work. Yeah. Ah, uh, very good. Look, it's a, that's a tough one, but I like it. I reckon we've got so much in common. It's ridiculous. What's the future hold, brother? I know you're not a. I know you're not a um, 
uh, you can't tell the future, but tell me what the future holds over the next 20, 30 years. I think you touched on For me or the world or? Uh, for you, mate. Um, for me, um, you know, my kids, Jack's just coming. I'd like to say hi. Is that seek or destroy? This is destroy. <laughs> Did I destroy? You work on yeah, something. The what? No, I don't. He's not in here. Um, so, so for me, um, you know, obviously I've got the Olympics coming up next year, which I'm excited about. And, you know, I hope that I get to coach a few more Olympians. Um, I hope I get to bounce back from a, a business sense, you know, so having lost the running store still pains me to this day and, and hurts me a lot. Um, so, you know, just being a bear with a sore head, I want to be able to do that. And, you know, I want to be able to set my family up for a prosperous future. You know, I would like to have my kids be able to go to college and get an education and, you know, achieve things that I didn't achieve and hopefully be content. So, you know, if I'm able to do that in the next 20 30 years, I'll die a happy man. That's a great answer, mate, and, and a real great way to finish. I'm glad I got to meet Destroy there on the other end <laughs> of the line. It has been one of the longest Zoom chats in the world. Definitely our first ever Zoom podcast, so I appreciate your patience. What time is it now? It's been nearly 9 o'clock uh, Colorado time, yes? Um, yep, it is. Uh, what have we got? Yeah, 8.42, so. We really appreciate you coming online with us, Truby. Um is there any lasting words, great man? I'm just hoping you're going to edit the shit out of this because otherwise it's going to be an extremely long podcast that are going to put people to sleep. So <laughs> It's my first time on the Zoom as well, so I'm definitely a bit out of my comfort zone. I prefer just being face-to-face on the mic. Now, Tommy will do his best to edit it. We might do a two-parter or a three-parter and in the best soap opera type setup, just have everyone hanging on every word and just waiting for part two and part three right now. Yeah, well, this might end up becoming a series. So, uh, you know, that's the wife in the background. She's looking for the cat. Uh, uh, This is Rick. Rick (laughs) Um, This might end up being a six-part series. So, um, It's been good. It was six-part as all good. I will leave it there. But thanks so much. And Truby is one of the greatest ever, as I mentioned when he went to get a beer, one of the greatest ever. Australian athletes and, and he um, deserves all the recognition he gets and I agree, I definitely believe he's the um, in the top one or two coaches in the world right now so well, thanks Troopy and listeners make sure you do something today that's going to make you much much better tomorrow